Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project Podcast. I'm the Jude 3 Project founder and president, Lisa Fields. Um, Before we start, I have a special request. Um, The Jude 3 Project is growing um, and God is doing exceedingly and abundantly above all (laughs) that we could have asked for. Um, or even thought, um, I've never, I never thought God would be doing this much this soon. And I'm thankful and grateful, um, because it's his grace. Um, but we need your help to expand and grow, um, by your financial contributions and your prayers. We thank you for all those who pray. We thank you for all the encouraging emails and tweets and Facebook messages telling us how the Jew three project is helping you, helping your church helping you to understand and help helping you to be able to defend your faith. Um, and those are great testimonies because that gets at the mission and the purpose to helping people know what they believe and why they believe it and serving the African American community in the area of apologetics. I could not be more excited and more happy. And I'm expecting God to do even more great things through the G3 project. Um, we're asking if you could help us financially by going to www.g3project.com and hitting the donate tab at the top or clicking the donate banner. Um, we would be, we would greatly appreciate all your help. Anything you could do would be helpful. Now it's time for another great podcast episode. We hope you enjoy it. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. All right, thank you for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project Podcast. And I'm your host, as always, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jude 3 Project. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, Dr. Joel Olowski. Did I pronounce that your last name right? Yeah, that's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, Dr. Olowski. For those who don't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, sure. I'm a professor at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. I I teach in the area of uh, historical theology. Um, I got involved uh, with a, a research project called the Ancient Christian Commentary on Scripture. Um, and I know one of the things we had talked about is how did I get involved with this work in Africa. And, uh, you know, after working with that Ancient Christian Commentary project with Tom Oden and some others, we, uh, we realized that uh, this, the people we were including in the commentary, this is a commentary that covers the period of the ancient church, and we started looking at, uh, you know, who are we quoting in this commentary? And... Uh, at least 40 to 50 percent of the the authors that we were quoting were actually uh, early African uh, theologians. So we thought this is something that the world needs to know about. So um, I guess uh, I've been working on that now for the last few years with uh, my colleagues to ex- explore how the early African fathers really did uh, influence the life of the church. Mm-hmm. And you wrote, um, you were one of the lead researchers on Thomas Oden's book, Correct. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the uh, how Africa shaped the Christian mind. Um, he wrote that pretty much. I mean, he, he wrote it himself. We, uh, of course, helped with some of the research on the different fathers and things. But uh, Tom Oden really has been kind of the catalyst for a lot of this, uh, as, as he's been working now, uh, you know, in theology for uh, all these many years. So I would I would say I was one of the researchers that helped him with that project, the Ancient Christian Commentary, and then 
some of the other things that we're doing now with the Early African uh, Christianity Project, uh, which is directed, by the way, by uh, Michael Glarup, who's out in uh, Pennsylvania. So um, it's a good group of guys. You know, we're all together, and women, for that matter, who are studying the church and uh, seeing uh, how they influence our lives today. That's awesome. So one of the things we get here um, a lot, because our focus is helping equip um, the African-American community in the area of apologetics is, is Christianity a white man's religion? And I think that comes from um, the emphasis on um, the reformers and not mm-hmm. kind of digging to before um, the Reformation and looking at the um, African church fathers that helped um, shape the Christian mind. Um how how do you handle that question? Is um, Christianity a white man's religion? Because I know when we were talking yesterday, you said you've actually heard that question a lot. Yeah, I actually have. Um, I, you know, when I was in Uganda, I was asked to talk on that very topic because uh, there was a group of military leaders who were wondering about uh, how Christianity could influence the military in Africa. But they they had that same kind of question: Is Christianity the white man's religion? And uh, you know, you brought up about kind of, we, we usually start at the Reformation, or maybe even later, sometimes we start with the uh, missionaries that came to Africa in, you know, in the 18th, 19th century. Um, but I always like to say that the Holy Spirit has a history, and I've heard that from uh, colleagues of mine as well, you know, that um, it, we we don't just jump from the 1st century to the 16th century, the 19th century, that there's this whole, whole other part of history that has kind of been neglected that... Uh, the Holy Spirit has been working in His Church throughout history, um, not just in these special periods, and so that I think we can go back to that earliest period and uh, see the Holy Spirit working very much through His Church and through many of the writers that were at that time. Now, one of the questions that comes up is, well, what did they look like? You know, and um, largely was uh, Christianity that developed around the Mediterranean, uh, so North Africa, Europe. Um, but probably, uh, you know, the majority of the people were probably not white. You know, the Western Europeans, uh, that, that's kind of a, a later development, really. So if you looked at Christianity, let's say, in the first five centuries, it would, uh, you know, take North Africa as, as an example. You would have uh, any number of different ethnicities and colors, if you will, represented. Um, you'd have uh, Egyptians, Ethiopians, Nubians, Berbers, uh, Greeks, Romans, uh Cyrenaic, Alexandrian Jews. I mean, it's it's a whole kind of different uh, idea than how we normally picture Christianity as this this white Western European thing. Um, and so, you know, of course, and Christianity has always. Um, I mean, it's it's not been about race or color. It's been about Christ. And uh, I I would kind of focus on that first of all to say that really, what makes you a Christian is your your faith in Jesus, as He's made you a Christian. Mm-hmm. So, Awesome. Um, what were, for those who are looking for specific, as it relates to church fathers, what were the prominent African church? Who were the prominent African church fathers? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, there's, um, when you when you think about even not just a, a prominent African church fathers, but prominent church fathers in general, many of them uh, come from Africa. So we can talk about, you know, really, you, you kind of look in the second, third century, third, fourth century, you've got uh, church fathers like Tertullian of Carthage, uh, who lived around from 160 to 220. You've got Clement of Alexandria, so the Alexandrian uh, 
center of really it was really one of the centers of Christianity in the ancient world. I, I would say it even rivaled Rome. So any theologians that would have come either from Alexandria or from Carthage uh, would be very prominent in the life of the early church. So again, Clement. Uh, and uh, the church father who followed from him, Origen of Alexandria. I mean, these guys are are key uh, theologians in the life of the early church, and and uh, many of them were even willing to give their lives, like uh, Cyprian of Carthage. He was a bishop who became a bishop rather late in life, but uh, it was at a bad time, uh, you might say in one sense, because it was when persecution was happening in the life of the church, and uh, Cyprian actually was martyred for his faith, uh, he uh, he survived the the Decian persecution, but later on was uh, was uh, per, uh, persecuted and then ended up uh, dying for his faith. So um, you know it wasn't just about theology; it was about also about how you lived your faith and your life. And these guys um, were very uh, very committed uh, to their life in Christ. I mean, I think of somebody like Origen, who um, you know when when they came uh, the, when they came into his village. They uh, took his father away and uh, martyred him, and he was um, so so much enamored of the Christianity and his father that he actually was going to go and join him there. He actually wanted to uh, volunteer to be martyred, but his uh, mother <laughs> ended up uh, preventing him from doing that by hiding his clothes, and he was a very, very, uh, how should we say, um, modest Christian. He didn't want to <laughs> go out in public, so she actually saved him by uh, doing that uh, you know, for her son. Awesome. Um, I think that's, that's very helpful, especially you making the distinction between not just it being about, um, them and in theological arenas and defending the faith, um, as far as like councils and, and things of that nature, but also the way they practiced and lived their lives and the fact that they, um, some of them were martyred because of it. Um, I think it's mm-hmm. something that, um, sometimes we uh, overlook. Um, so I think that's definitely helpful. And I hate to say it, but I mean, that's what's happening in the church in Africa today. Uh, these these martyr stories are repeating themselves uh, with Boko Haram and some of these other groups that are there. So uh, it's um, to be able to see the, the faith and the uh, deep faith of these, these uh, Christians in Africa is just amazing. Mm-hmm. And I guess it is definitely helpful when when you do travel over there to um recite those stories so they'll they'll know that you know there's some kind of they could see kind of how this has been happening through history is that something that you find helpful oh definitely in fact um sometimes when i'm lecturing there i remember doing this in nigeria in a bomba show and um i had the uh, students actually read uh take the various martyr accounts uh, there's this martyr account of the skeleton martyrs they're known as and this is probably one of the earliest documents we have it dates from about 180 AD and um, what I did is I had each of the students uh, take a different part because they actually gave names to these martyrs and uh, so they read the the actual uh, martyr narrative and I tell you they uh, they really got into it because uh, for them it wasn't just a story it was something they they might actually be called out to live in their own faith and life so um, mm-hmm. it's a very powerful narrative uh, that way Wow. Um, for those who are um, questioning, because we got some questions um, yesterday from different people on social media. Um, some people had questions for you. One of the questions was, um, what what did the African church fathers contribute to church history? That's a great question. I mean, they um, 
they contributed an amazing amount of uh, theology, but also practice. Um, you know, when you think about some of the issues of early Christianity, like how do you talk about the person of Jesus Christ and his relationship to the Father? Uh, you have somebody like Athanasius, uh, who was a very strong uh, defender of, of Christ, and uh, you have the Council of Nicaea, which didn't take place in Africa, but frankly, uh, some of the key players were from Africa, like Athanasius. So uh, I'd say the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of the Trinity, those were very important issues in the life of the early church. Um, Cyprian works through the, the the doctrine of penance. I mean, how does how does somebody get welcomed back into the church when they've fallen away, especially if they've fallen away during times of persecution? And so you get somebody like Cyprian who's looking to give a very uh, very pastoral approach um, into how to bring people back in, but also dealing with with what occurred, the sin that occurred. Um, you know, and that was in response to this other. Uh, um, uh, theologian innovation who said that uh, you you couldn't even allow him back in at all and so Cyprian said I gotta you know be able to work this out how how can we bring these people back in um, you have somebody like uh, I mean I haven't even mentioned probably one of the key uh, African theologians who has not only influenced Christianity back in um, the early church period but also through the Middle Ages the Reformation and even today and that is Augustine of Hippo um, mm-hmm. You know, he. Um, I always like to ask my students. You know, how much time do you think Augustine spent outside of Africa? Because of course he was born in Tagast, uh, which is in North Africa. Um, I mean, what would you say if you had to guess how long he spent outside of Africa? Would you have an idea? Uh, no, I would say maybe. I don't. I don't even know. <laughs> I mean, some, sometimes my students will say like oh, twenty, thirty, forty years. I said, would you be surprised to know that he spent five years about that of his whole seventy-five year life? Only about five years were spent outside of Africa in uh, in uh, Rome and in Milan, you know. So it's a little bit of time there in Italy. But uh, you know, he he's um, his his works on the Trinity, his um, his Confessions, uh, the City of God. I mean, these are works that still have uh, resonance today, even in the life of the Church. So. Um, if I had to, you know, crystallize where where their key contributions are, I would say it was in the doctrine of Christ, in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, uh, in the doctrine of the Church, um, but also again how these are lived out in the life of the Church. It wasn't just all about theology, but it was about how you put faith and action together. Because if you remember, first of all, they were pastors, mm-hmm. you know, pastors serving the Church, and so. It wasn't some kind of uh, mental exercise or academic exercise. It was really very much how they lived out their faith in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really really helpful, and I think um, our listeners will really appreciate um, just your answer. Um, what one of the questions we in the pushbacks we um, get a lot. I was just talking to somebody. Um, that has recently converted from um, Christianity and now is an agnostic. And one of the um, things um, was Christianity stealing from um, is Egyptians. Um, mm-hmm. Is there any truth to Christianity stealing any of its tenets from Egypt, like the Ten Commandments from the Declaration of, is it Mayat? Am I pronouncing it um, right? Oh, that could be. Um, I hadn't heard that. Um, I mean, I've I've heard these kinds of accusations various times, and um, you know, the thing about Christianity is it's an incarnational religion. In other words, it takes place at a certain place at a certain time. Um, 
So are you going to see reflections of those uh, cultures and uh, societies in Christianity? Sure, but um, it's actually probably more of a question of who borrowed from whom, you know. Um, and often uh, it's, it's posited that uh, Christianity borrowed from these other religions, but uh, it, it could just as easily be argued the other way. Um, you know, you, you get some of the... Um, even even Greek philosophy, there was speculations as to whether they borrowed uh, from Moses, somebody like Plato or or, or Socrates, you know, having met Jewish uh, um, exiles in uh, perhaps in Babylon or something like that, or or maybe they'd been dispersed through Greece. Um, but Egyptian mythology, uh, you know, with any religion, you're going to see some parallels, I suppose. I, I mean, I suppose that's true, but uh, we really don't have any evidence that you can point to that would say. You know, Moses, for instance, would have borrowed from the Egyptians. In fact, uh, Moses was instructed uh, in, in Egypt, that is true, um, which only goes to so, show that he probably was one of the most educated leaders of, of any of the ancient religions. Uh, and uh, So you can look at, at Moses as, as the lawgiver, um, but he received that revelation from from God himself there at Mount Sinai. And... Um, I don't I don't know of any um evidence that I can think of that would show uh, a borrowing of of uh, Christianity or Judaism from Egyptian religion I suppose like I said though you could probably see some connections but um I guess uh, I don't know if that answers the question or not. If somebody <laughs> wants to be a skeptic, you know, they're going to look at whatever you see and and probably not you not be convinced uh but uh as I, as I look at uh, Judaism and I look at Christianity, um, in many instances it would seem that the direction goes the other way, that these religions were actually borrowing from them, if you want you know, truth be told. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's actually helpful because, I mean, that it seems like Christianity is always the one that's copying from someone and, and in the minds of skeptics and people don't really think, well, maybe, you know, it's, it could be the other way around. Just like you pointed out with, um, you know, Greek philosophers potentially copying some aspects of Moses, you know, those kinds of yeah. things, people kind of always flip it the other way. <laughs> yeah, well, that's kind of true. And, uh, you know, that see, and, and there's this whole school of thought that everybody's borrowing from everybody. And yes, you can see trends and things like that. But um, when you have the aspect of divine revelation, um, which you, you can't prove. I mean, nobody can prove divine revelation. It's accepted by faith. And uh, But, you know, this this school of thought of, of higher criticism and um, source criticism, These, I think um, our modern culture has actually done a good job in kind of deconstructing these things and showing that really they, a lot of these schools of thought really just reflect um, their the proponents' uh, theologies and philosophies rather than any actual source uh, criticism that you can actually find. So that's mm -hmm. what's rather interesting in a lot of this. Yeah. Hmm. What resources or evidence is that <clears throat> is that Christianity spread outside North Africa to the sub-Saharan to mm -hmm. sub-Saharan Africa? Yeah, that's a that's another good question. Um, and first of all, I should say, I, you know, what is the actual evidence for there even being, you know, this this presence of of Christianity in North Africa? And I, I did mention the the skeleton martyrs there in 180 AD. Um, that's the first probably written record that you have, but that, that's still pretty early. I mean, for a lot of areas, frankly, that would be pretty early. Um, then you you get uh, a lot of the Egyptian uh, monasticism that develops in the fourth century and um, 
we know that there was a, a church in Ethiopia, for instance, very early. Uh, we have uh, uh, Frumentius, who's the first bishop of uh, Ethiopia, who's actually ordained a bishop by Athanasius in the 4th century. So, I mean, by the 4th century already, you have Ethiopian Christianity, but we we assume that it probably even went further. Uh, it would have followed uh, right down the Nile, you know, which uh, leads into Sudan, frankly, and uh, Uganda, for that matter. Uh, now, we... We can't say for sure when when it actually got down that far, but it makes sense that uh, the uh, many of the monks would have followed the uh, trade routes as they uh, uh, spread the gospel. And so I think one of the things that is actually a task uh, for some enterprising researchers is to you know uh, try to look through some of the archaeological evidence that we have um, as uh, to see how Christianity moved further south. But we could talk about it at least as far as Ethiopia, um, definitely you know, in the fourth century already, which would imply, in my case, I think that we it was already present there earlier. Um, but you can find, you know, as you find monasticism, you find it expanding. And that's really what the monks did. They traveled <laughs> and they brought the gospel down. Um, and to actually, how far down, I don't know if we can say yet. I mean, that's that's still part of what our research is about, is, is trying to discover that. Mm-hmm. Does that help a little bit, though? Or? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's definitely helpful. Um, to kind of shift gears a, uh, a bit, uh, one of the questions we got, and I think it's it's actually a, um, telling on um, just how we learn theology in the West. One of the questions was, were the North, um, the African church fathers, were they more leaning towards Calvinism or Arminianism. And I thought that was an interesting question because it kind of mm. reflects this, um, the, I, the, the Reformation idea. Um, on to, yeah, I was going to say, I don't think they know who Calvin Arminius was. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they definitely, that doesn't come till way after the, them coming and going. But I guess the idea as yeah, if election right. and all of that stuff, as we right, would know it yeah. as Calvinism and Arminianism, before they would know it as something else. And and it, it just goes to show also how uh, African theology has influenced later uh, theology. So, you know, was there a, a type of Arminianism uh, in the early church? Uh, there was very much, you find with somebody like Origen, for instance, very much an emphasis on the free will. Uh, now, the question is why he had that emphasis, because, I mean, that is... I believe one of the the key tenets of uh, Arminianism is you know the role of the will. And uh, when Origen was um, confronting uh, opponents to to Christianity, uh, a lot of them emphasized the idea of fatalism. You know that everything is determined by fate, and so ultimately they were would blame God. You know for evil that happened in the world. And so one of the things that Origen would highlight is the fact that. Um, you know that humanity is responsible for evil in the world by our our choice in the garden with Adam and Eve having brought sin into the world. So um, you do get that then you know carried through later on with other church fathers very much emphasizing that role of the will uh, even in in conversion I suppose. But then you get the opposite of that also of that also in Africa with somebody like Augustine uh, who uh, initially I'd say he does talk about the role of the will a fair bit and. Um, how, how important the will is in, in our conversion. But as he starts to engage uh, the doctrine or the teaching of a, of, of a, a monk from Britain named Plagius, um, he realizes that uh, when we put too much uh, emphasis on the will, what we end up doing is uh, 
putting our salvation in our own hands rather than in God's hands. And so uh, he emphasized actually then the, the bondage of the will, if you will, and, and the whole role of uh, God's election and his saving grace that brings us to faith and life. And that Augustine's real emphasis there was then on God doing his work in us rather than us doing the work. Um, so if you're looking for certainty salva- for salvation, you look much you have a much stronger um, object of faith there in, in God rather than in yourself. And so you see then the later Reformation and, and post-Reformation controversies kind of already having their start uh, there in the in the 5th century as, as they look to Augustine and some of the controversies that happened after. So so your, uh, your caller or your writer, he was actually, you know, they're on the right track with that, that you can, you can indeed trace some of these... Um, disputes back to the early church um so but i would also say you know when you when you start reading that you do see a an emphasis on on um on god's saving work for us in jesus christ and that really being where they want to place the emphasis mm-hmm. um one of the ones we just actually had a question come in while you were talking um mm-hmm. what is the history behind african jews as it relates to christianity Oh, that's a great question. Well, um, you know, Christianity, even even before Christianity, there was a large Jewish presence in Africa. You had, of course, the Alexandrian Jews um, in the the 3rd century BC. uh, You even get the translation of the Old Testament into Greek, which is done by African Jews, if you will, Egyptian Jews there in Alexandria. Uh, You also have a large presence of... uh, uh, Cyrenaic Jews, so those would have been further west uh, in North Africa. And the Cy- Cyrenaic Jews, of course, are ones who are mentioned in the Book of Acts um, when they're talking about uh, the presence of Jews in Jerusalem. Uh, and we can even talk about um, the last person, one of the last people Jesus encountered you know, in his earthly life was a Jew from uh, Cyrenaica, so an African who carried his cross, uh, Simon of Cyrene. Um, people often forget that he was an African. Uh, there's also a, a large Jewish presence in Ethiopian, in Ethiopia. So you have the Ethiopian Christianity that has very a uh, lot of elements of Judaism in it as well. Um, and there's that connection with the Queen of Sheba. You know these kinds of uh, relationships that the, the Ethiopian Church will talk about. So. Um, and so that relationship between um, Jewish um, presence there in Africa and then later on Christianity interacting with that is, is quite a fascinating history in itself. Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely helpful. What are some books that you would recommend for us to gain a robust understanding of Africa's impact in the scriptures? Yeah, that's a great question. Um I'd say the one, you know, kind of a, probably a good introduction to this whole topic is, is Tom Oden's book, How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind. Uh, that's published by University Press, and that kind of sets the stage for a lot of this, and he um, sets out an agenda, if you will, for research and study that I think would be very helpful as he talks about some areas where Africa has indeed shaped the Christian mind, like uh, those areas of theology I mentioned earlier, uh, Christology, pneumatology, uh, church councils, we haven't even talked about that. Uh, that's another area. So that's that's one book. Um, I would say a second one might be, um, there's a new book out, it just came out in 2014. Uh, it's by Patu Burns and Robin Jensen called Christianity in Roman Africa, uh, the development of its practices and beliefs. I use this, uh, this is published by Erdman's, I believe. Uh, 
I use that with some of my African students to, if anybody wants to get a picture, you know, of what life would have looked like. It actually has pictures of some of the um, the sites in Africa, as well as descriptions of uh, what church life would have been like uh, for those first five centuries. Um, so those are a couple of books. We of course have our website, uh, www.earlyafricanchristianity.com, which uh, is amazing, by the way. It's so helpful. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, there there's a lot of resources there that you can pick up, um, and we keep uh, updating that as well. So, hopefully, people can check out that site for further kind of materials. Um, I'm currently working on a dictionary of uh, early African Christianity. It's going to take a while, uh, but uh, you know, we're, in the next few years, we plan on publishing that through our Institute for Classical Christian Studies Press. So that'll hopefully be a resource as well. Um, I mean, there's there's lots of others out there. I could keep going, but I don't want to overwhelm you either. Um, I think that, that you have a, a there's a, a bibliography on um, your website that mm-hmm. lists all the books and resources. So Definitely, if you're listening, go to, is it early? Can you repeat that for them? Yeah, it's uh, earlyafricanchristianity.com. So that's that's all one word in lowercase. I think it's all lowercase. Too. Yeah, and you have videos on there, articles, books, mm-hmm. bibliographies, all of that stuff. So that will and be... book reviews and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Excellent place to start. Um, before we leave, you mentioned we didn't touch on um, church councils. What would you want to add? Well, you know, sometimes people look for hard data as to, you know, how do you know if there were really that many Christians in North Africa in the early centuries? Well, we actually have records, you know, of those church councils that took place in Africa. And Africa had, uh, you know, was really set the conciliar patterns in many ways for the rest of the church at large. And uh, so first of all, I mean, you have... You have a pope that comes from Africa, Pope Victor, um, who was the first bishop of Rome born in the Roman province of uh, Africa Proconsularis. But then you've you've got these councils in the early 3rd century, one as early as 220. And it tells us that there were, we can see from the signatures, you know, that there were 70 bishops present at that meeting already. And if you think about a, a bishop representing a group of churches, and that probably only half the bishops made it, let's say, you know, to church council meeting, which kind of still happens today. Uh, you know, that that already tells of a very vibrant presence of Christianity in North Africa just from the number of bishops. So by 256, you've got, you know, 87 bishops at a council. And, and then, you know, by the time of the 5th century, um, early 5th century, there were over 600 bishops present at an African council there in Carthage. That tells me that um, the church was just amazing. It was vibrant in the, you know, in the life of the early church at large. Many would have looked at the church in Africa. And also the fact that at that, at that council, and I think it was 419 or 411, I forget which one at Carthage, they actually came up with these African canons um, governing the life of the church. And these were distributed throughout the churches of the Roman Empire as an example of how, how um, the African church... Uh, viewed much of the life of the early church and how it regulated itself. So I, just, I guess I just bring that up to simply say, these, you know, these are documents that you can look at, and um, they're, rec- they're on the web for that matter, so you can um, kind of see for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aren't there links on, on, your, on, the, on your website, too, for those? Um... Yeah, I think we'd have them because we link to, um, there's the CCEL website that um, these, these documents are found in the, the 14th volume of the um, Nicene post-Nicene Fathers. Um, I don't know if they give the list of the actual fathers. You might have to go elsewhere for that, but um, it is out there for those who want to find it. 
Awesome. What would be your last words for those who are listening? Well, I, I guess I'd be thank you to, uh, to Africa. You know, thank you to the early African fathers and the, the gifts that they gave to the life of the church. Um, I, I think it's something that we need to celebrate, that we need to make known to the, to the churches in Africa as well as the churches here to, to realize what a wonderful gift Africa has been to world Christianity. And I guess my hope is that it will continue to be a gift uh, to Christianity throughout the world, that we will hear from our African brothers and sisters again as they seek to uh, you know, live out their faith and life in this 21st century, and that we can rejoice with them and the gifts God has given them. Awesome. What would be uh, ways that uh, our audience can um, contact you? Are you on Facebook, Twitter, or... Yeah, Facebook. Um, I'm also, I mean, go to the website. There's a, a place there that says contact us and they could, uh, you know, send me emails through there or my colleague Mike Glarup or uh, Thomas Oden. I mean, any one of us, we'd love to, you know, answer any questions they might have. Um, but yeah, they could probably find me also on Facebook. But I, I'd say the website is probably the best way to get in touch with us or, or also uh, Concordia Seminary here in St. Louis. Um, they can look me up that way as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been an awesome conversation, and I really appreciate you agreeing to be on the podcast. Oh, it's been my pleasure, and I wish you God's blessings as you continue to serve him. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. You can catch all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com backslash podcast. You can follow us on iTunes by searching Jude 3 Project. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Jude 3 Project, on Instagram at Jude 3 Project, and on Facebook at facebook.com. Um, backslash Jude 3 project and remember you can donate on our site so if this um, this podcast and this ministry is a blessing to you help support us financially um, by going on our website at jude3project.com and hitting the donate tab um, and donating consider donating to us thank you so much remember at the Jude 3 project we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it